1: This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, John Cain, broadcasting from Nacogdoches, Texas. Today with us on the program, we have the Reverend Jeffrey Hemmer. He is assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He is a doctoral candidate himself, and he is the author of the book, Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. Welcome to the program, Jeff.
0: It's great to be with you.
1: So let's uh, tell our listeners, what is biblical masculinity? So there's
0: a lot of cultural understandings about what masculinity is, and there's probably a little bit of truth in, in most of them, but in the beginning, God creates man and woman and distinguishes one from another and gives unique roles to each. And so we, we celebrate the ways in which they are like one another, but also the ways in which they are unlike. One another, so God God gives Adam particular things to do. He makes him the the head uh, of creation, places him at the at the pinnacle of creation in order that he might attend to creation's flourishing. puts him there to work. He makes him the the bearer of God's word to creation. We think about when when the serpent comes to Eve and entices her into sin she knows what god has said because her preacher her husband adam has proclaimed the word to her presumably so adam fulfills a prophetic role he's he's a prophet he's the king of creation um and he's also he he fulfills a priestly role that is he takes the needs of his family the needs of creation and he brings those to to god so he he carries out these these three roles but then we see very quickly how all of that goes sideways when we mentioned just a second ago when the serpent comes to eve he doesn't come to adam he comes to eve usurps adam's authority in that way and then lures eve into questioning the word itself has god really said And so what happens? Well, Eve sees that the the fruit is pleasing to the eye and good for food, and she eats and she gives some to her husband who was with her. So just by the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, God's design for masculinity has gone completely awry. God intended Adam to be protecting his bride, his family, creation. But you have instead an Adam who is self-preserving. He won't he won't put his life on the line. He won't risk his, he won't, he won't stick his neck out for the good of his bride when she is being attacked by by the devil, being lured into sin. He's he's self preserving. As soon as they sin, the their eyes incline towards themselves. And so He should have been outwardly focused, focused on on the good of everyone around him. But, But sin, rebellion against God, does this to Adam and to all of Adam's descendants. That is, we become focused on ourselves, fixated on ourselves, selfish. So Adam becomes the exact opposite of what he was intended to be. God made man to be giving. And loving and sacrificial for the good of others around him, but he, but sin perverts all that, distorts all that, and he becomes selfish. So it was kind of a long, roundabout way to get to an answer to the question: what is biblical masculinity? Because we find the solution to Adam's disordered masculinity, Adam's selfishness, we find the solution for that in the second Adam. When when the second person of the eternal triune God takes it upon himself to save humanity, to be the savior of sinners, he does so in a, in a very fleshly kind of way. God becomes man. The word becomes flesh. the The son of God becomes the son of Mary. So in the second Adam, in Jesus, we see the truest picture of masculinity available. Real biblical masculinity is displayed in Christ. And if you, if you distill everything Jesus said and did down to its purest essence, the one thing that Jesus was always about is the cross. He's always on a mission to the cross. And then after his crucifixion and resurrection, His church is always about the cross, always proclaiming Christ crucified, to use the language of of St. Paul. We preach Christ crucified. And what is the cross? Well, the cross is sacrifice. So the, the purest essence of what masculinity is means sacrifice. It means the giving of oneself for the good of others those whom a man has been given that he might serve, he uses his life as an instrument for them for their good. So, masculinity, biblical masculinity, is about sacrifice.
1: So, you're saying that Jesus, as fully human, fully divine, eternal God who has uh, uh, taken human flesh into the Trinity, he is perfect. What about Adam? Was Adam perfect?
0: Well, before his fall into sin, Adam was perfect. He's, He's created In the image of God, he possesses a likeness of Christ. He also possesses uh, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, no sin at all. God looks at all of his creation at the end of the sixth day of creation, and he calls it very good. Everything he has made is good. It's functioning according to his design. And so Adam is unspoiled, uncorrupted by sin for a, a fleeting moment in creation, adam adam is uh the perfect man as well but then he lost it yeah he loses it and and all of his children are born with this with this selfish perversion we're not born with with adam's perfect masculinity our our daughters are not born with eve's perfect femininity we no longer possess the the goodness that was in god's creation when he called it very good now we all have this distortion that that manifests itself in a variety of ways but sin ultimately is always a kind of selfishness so that's we inherit from all of our parents all the way back to adam and eve we inherit that that selfishness and that is that is antithetical to masculinity so we're we're born losing we're born not knowing how to be good and godly men and and we're born unable to fix this perversion within us so before we have an example of what masculinity is all men and all women need to be need to be rescued from from this perversion the this distortion out of which we we cannot free ourselves so before jesus is an example he's he's our savior and his his perfect sacrifice for us on the cross completely apart from from our ability to live as godly men, his sacrifice for us makes us good again.
1: So Adam and Eve were the hand-built prototypes, hand-built by God. Uh, they rebelled and they broke everything for the rest of us. So then, when we look for the holy example, the best example of of what masculinity is, we we look to Jesus. What? How has God given us this? Um, pattern uh, describe that for us how how do we function then as as people who seek to pattern our own lives after after Christ
0: yeah well the the image of masculinity that we get in Christ restores all the things that that Adam was called to do should have been doing but but since the fall into sin is now unable to do so a man will He'll live as these three things that Christ is. He will be prophet, priest, and king to his family anew. Um, He'll exercise loving dominion, reign like a king, Um, not a a kind of selfish reign where everyone uh, just does what, what the king demands for the good of the king, but a loving kind of dominion for the good of everyone entrusted to his care. A man will be the prophet. The steward of the Word of God. Um, he will catechize and, and teach and instruct his family in the Word of God. Um, he'll be the priest, the one to, to gather the, the needs and the prayers and the petitions of the people that he's called to serve and to bring those before the, the throne of God the Father. So he carries out those things. Um, he, he loves with a similar kind of Christ-like love, Again, a love that's not, not perverted, not distorted by selfishness, but a love that's, that's purely and perfectly selfless. And in the way that Paul describes love in First Corinthians, that love is patient and kind, it's not self-interested. Um, this is the kind of love that we only find in Christ. He models that kind of love perfectly. And so what you say of love in First Corinthians, you could say about, about Christ, that he, is patient and kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He's, he's the one perfect selfless love. But then in him, that's how a man loves as well. It's a, a courageous, a sacrificial kind of love. A man gives of himself. Christ gives of himself completely. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So there's a sense in which a man is not a, not a victim, so to speak. Um, he's not being put upon by being called to give of himself for the good of others but he gives of himself gladly and freely for for them for their good for their flourishing and then jesus has strength to be sure um, but he he uses it always for the good of his bride for the good of the church for the good of the world that all people might receive the salvation that he wins for them
1: on the cross So the Church of Christ is known as his bride. Um, We were also told by Jesus to pray to God as our heavenly father. So what would you say to someone who's um, uh, had issues with a broken earthly father? Uh, Let's strengthen this notion of how God is our father and and what what that means to us.
0: Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think it would be a helpful place to start to say that every single one of us has has been raised by a father who's a failure especially when compared with god the father not one of our earthly fathers not not a single one of them has done a perfect job of being a father and when compared with god the father it really levels out the playing field for the rest of us even the most egregious evil father um when compared with with the best human father we can think of they're they're only different by by very slim margins when you compare them to the the perfect goodness of god the father so this is what saint paul says uh in in his letter to the church in ephesus um i i bow my knee before the father from whom all fatherhood is named so the first person of the of the trinity calls himself father because he always has a son there's never a time when the father god the father exists and god the son does not exist he's always father the son the church fathers confess is eternally begotten there's never a time when he's not the son and this father son relationship within the trinity Sets the pattern for all of our earthly the, for for all men who are called fathers. It's not the other way around. It's not that we can understand a little bit what God is like because we have earthly fathers, and God is kind of like a father. It's it's exactly the opposite. It is God is eternally father, and he calls men who have been given a role similar to his. He calls them by the same title by which he is eternally known, that is, Father. So, all of us have wanted something from our earthly fathers that we haven't gotten, even if it's just minor disappointments. Or maybe maybe we have very deep, significant wounds from, from the men who raised us, but we'll never find that kind of love that we, that we need from an earthly father. We'll only find that in, in our perfect heavenly father. So there's there's a goodness to his fatherhood that all earthly fathers are called to embody. His his patriarchy, which a word that just means a father's rule, um, his patriarchy is so good that that all other fathers are called to emulate that pattern. So we all we all have experienced failings from a father one way or another, um, and and that just shows us how good and how perfect and how necessary having God as our father truly is.
1: So you use the term pattern. Is there a portion of this that the psychologist would say is uh, nurture versus nature or, or how much of this is, you know, in our DNA or given to us so much that it's just a part of our identity? I think it's
0: probably both left to our own devices we we'd never figure it out completely but but I do think there is there is some sort of lingering memory within all of us um, that that harkens back to the good old days when we weren't there we were we were in the mind of God at creation um, but we weren't there but our our ancestors are there and so at some level we all, long for Adam to be masculine and Eve to be feminine and to live according to the design of God's creation but we can't we can't go backwards and so our hope and our comfort is that the one who became man for us restores creation to the way that he intends it to be now but we don't see it yet and so what we're longing for what we're hoping for, what we um, know will be, every time we pray, "Come, Lord Jesus," is the day of His return when everything is made as He intended. Everything is renewed, restored to how He intended it to be. So there's kind of it, it's both, right? We're we're sort of remembering what we should have had, even though we never actually experienced it, and we're and we're longing, looking forward to um, the the restoration. Of the way things would have been, had sin not knocked everything off course, so we wouldn't we wouldn't ever really get there, being men. But we do sort of know there's something, um, something visceral, something innate still within us that that knows this is what we should do. And even when right, even when we when we read stories of sacrifice, and and it sort of stirs up something within us. I think that's why. Because, because the cross is so true, um, and, and men are called to this kind of sacrifice in, in, in such a true way that that pervades all the rest of our stories, and it, it causes us to sort of harken back to what we know things should be.
1: Well, I mentioned at the outset that you are the author of a book. Tell us a little bit about that book and where we uh, might get a copy for ourselves.
0: Yeah, so the book is called Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. Um, and it's available. It's published by Concordia Publishing House. You can get it from their website, which is cph.org. Um, it's also on Amazon, um, available at uh, another of uh, uh, almost any other online bookseller, um, or you can uh, talk to your pastor. If he doesn't have a copy, you should probably uh, get one for him. Um, <laughs> gives, gives them out to the men in your congregation, um, because it's not a book about me, uh, and it's not it's not a everybody should should be manly like this hammer guy. It's it's a book completely about Jesus. So uh, dispel any any notions that uh, that masculinity is about any one of us emulating any other man because even though we encourage one another in this endeavor to be good godly men, um, we we find the, the only perfect example in the good man Jesus. So it's, it's a book about Jesus, um, but I think there's a lot of... There, we wrestle with a lot of the, the texts uh, from Scripture. We, we dig into the accounts of creation. Um, I talk a lot about uh, Ephesians 5 and, and what it means that Jesus is, is the perfect husband. And then, because every guy likes the, the practical stuff, you got to slog through you know the first two-thirds of the book to get to the practical stuff at the end. But the, the practical stuff only makes sense once we've really sort of built this foundation of masculinity on Jesus himself.
1: God's original intent for us will be fulfilled someday, a day we all look forward to. We'll come back to our guest in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell our listeners that you can visit our program's website, elmhouston.org. And there you can read more about us. You can find shortcuts to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube accounts. You can donate to our uh, support through that webpage. From our Facebook page, you can also find podcasts of our past programming. All of our on-the-air hosts are volunteers, so uh, I'd like you to know your donation will truly go far to help us purchase Radio Airtime. We strive to have a wide variety of interviews with people who are creatively sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at this place we call The Intersection of where faith meets life. You may also write us at ELM Houston PO Box 568, Cypress, Texas 77410. Now back to Reverend Hemmer. Jeff, tell us a little bit about what fathers should do. So the first thing, the
0: most important thing a father can do is, is not to be a good father. It's to be a good example of repentance. So a father should model what to do when he's wrong. He should acknowledge his shortcomings. He should he should confess them to the to the people whom he has hurt, his wife, his children, people in his community, whoever. And he should model what what someone who is uh, repentant, contrite, broken over his sin should do with his sin, and that is receive the Lord's forgiveness. So this, this is the first thing a father should do, model repentance and forgiveness. Honest acknowledgement, ownership of one's sin, and finding forgiveness, full and complete payment for our sins, given to us freely for the sake of Jesus. That's what a father should do. He should model repentance and forgiveness. He should He should be not just taking his family to church, but he should be leading his family in worship at church. He should be participating in the service, singing the hymns, helping helping his family follow along the service and then uh, living from that that Sunday morning service he should be gathering his family together daily in the word and and privately he should be praying for his wife and his children and his community. so he has sort of the the public act of presiding over his family, continuing to be, um, the, the prophet for them, the, the pastor to his family. And, and privately, he's, he's also interceding for them, collecting their, their needs and bringing them to God the Father, knowing that he can't do everything his family needs, but entrusting them, just like he entrusts himself to his heavenly father's provision, entrusts his family to his heavenly father's provision. And then he should be diligently catechizing, teaching his family the truths of the word of God pointing so, them to the the savior of sinners,
1: Jesus on the cross. Well, I think our listeners will um, agree that uh, when we look at the world around us, we see just nothing but brokenness and political posturing and uh, violence and uh, self-centeredness. So the way of Christ is uh, the one way that offers us hope. And I think it's, it's the only way that will stand the test of time because time itself is uh, is one of God's inventions so how wonderful it is that uh, we have the encouragement of our Lord Do you have one final thought for our listeners yeah you you mentioned all the the uh, sort of problems
0: culturally that that surround us and in the culture uh, masculinity is often criticized as toxic but it's not it's biblical masculinity can never be toxic because Jesus isn't toxic masculinity is always for the good of Of those a man has been entrusted with with the responsibility of loving and serving. It's always good for those around a man. And it is a positive force in our culture for good. And and it's not a kind of uh, excuse for selfishness. It's always a call to sacrifice.
1: And that's never toxic. Very good. Thank you for those words. Join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Goodbye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.